Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. How are you doing? What's going on with you? That is the question for us as caregivers. How are you doing? You see, healthy caregivers make better caregivers. Are you healthy? Do you feel healthy? Are you moving towards healthiness? Are you making healthy decisions today? Notice I'm not saying happy because I think sometimes we get confused with happy and healthy. Healthy is attainable. Happiness is episodic, but healthiness and a healthy lifestyle, spiritually, emotionally, physically, professionally, financially, relationship-wise, all of those things are available to us to make healthier decisions. And healthy caregivers, of course, make better caregivers. And that's the point of this program. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. I want to address something very quickly. There's there's a video out. I put it in our Hope for the Caregiver group. You're welcome to go out and join and be a part of it. As a member of this audience, you kind of get automatic <laughs> access to that. It's a free Facebook group, Hope for the Caregiver. And I put a video of a conference I did the other day in Baltimore, Maryland. This was a, it was a great time. We had a good, it was a Zoom conference, which I like those because I could still stay here and be a caregiver at home while doing these things. We had a pretty good crowd there too, online at Zoom, which is kind of different. It takes a little bit of getting used to, but we had a good time doing it. And I wanted to share something about that. I don't spend a lot of time talking about tips on this program, caregiving tips, because I figured you know, once you got it, you got it. And and a lot of people do spend time on that. They have all kinds of, you know, seven things you can do as a dementia caregiver kind of thing, you know, and that's great. There's so many resources out there. And once you got it, you got it. Where I focus on this program is really equipping people to withstand the day-to-day onslaught of things that we don't own. We're constantly having to fight against the the resentment, the guilt, the fear, the despair, all those kinds of things, because if our hearts are settled, then we make better decisions. But if our hearts are train wreck, then we make lousy decisions. And that's where I kind of land on that particular issue. But a friend of mine said, you know, you just assume that a lot of people know how to do some of these things that you just rattle off that you do every day. And you might want to give some thought to that. And I said, okay, I, he's a very close friend of mine. And and I said, you know what, if, if you bring it up, then it needs to be brought up. There are things that I do and have been doing as a caregiver for so long that I mistakenly think that it doesn't have maybe as much meaning to talk about to other people because it seems so mundane to me. The things that I struggle with daily are those matters of the heart, of keeping your head and your heart calmer. But you know what? Part of that is learning to do some of these tasks. So I'm going to, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to divert into a couple of those things for a little bit today that I've got a special part of the program I'm going to bring to you, uh, the back half of the program. One of those things is just travel. And I'm, I'm getting ready to head back to Denver with Gracie. She's going to have her, that I can count, 84th operation. They're going to take some screws out of her femur. She broke it a year and a half ago when they repaired it, uh, not in Denver. They repaired it in another hospital in Montana, uh, they put longer screws in there to anchor it, which is what they're supposed to do into that rod that goes into the femur. But when you have an amputee who wears a prosthesis, that thing is going to squeeze a little bit. 
and they didn't take that into account. And so the, the screws are too long and they need to come out because it's putting undue pressure and, and sharp, sharp pain uh, when she wears her prosthetic limp. So we're going to take that out. And I don't know how long she'll have to recover from this particular surgery. Hopefully it's not too long because they're not having to do much more than just take it out. But there is pain involved. And with Gracie, there's always things that can go kind of haywire. But I'm planning for the trip. I'm staying, and a friend would say, well, what are you going to do? Well, you're never going to have a car. And I said, no, we have we Uber. Um, we have a guy that we met through Uber who was a wonderful man. And he... Uh, we contact him ahead of time and he'll come and also drive us. He does all kinds of car service stuff and he'll come and drive us from the airport to the hotel. The hotel is right across the street from the uh, hospital. We get, um, there's, they have a you know restaurant in the hotel and then they have, uh, we can always Uber eats and do all kinds of things like that. So we just learned to do this. You put apps on your phone, you use technology to do it. And as Groucho Marx said, it's so easy, a child of five can do it. Somebody get me a child of five. So if you don't know how to do those things, there's somebody that can teach you, and it makes your life a lot easier. I have all of my apps on my phone for the for flying and for hotel accommodations, checking in. I can tell them exactly what time I'm going to be there. and I, I know the kind of hotel that I need to get for Gracie and the accommodations thereof and what we need to do when we get there and how to get... Uh, depending on the weather, uh, the, the, we're right across the street, but I'm not going to push her in a wheelchair because if there's snow or whatever, so we'll just get a ride share to do that. So there's all kinds of ways that technology has made this a little easier being in a different city. I don't know what's going to happen if she's going to need to stay in the hospital at night or it's supposed to be outpatient, but with Gracie, you never know. So I have multiple contingency plans and I can maneuver at a moment's notice on this. I have to be mobile. And this is where I use technology to help me do these things. Uh, my I'm flying down on the airline I'm flying down on, it's very easy to change the flight. The hotel, I have a rewards program with them, and they're very accommodating with me because of that. And I get to know the manager of the hotel because we go to the same hotel. We do the same thing. All those things go into making this trip easier and less stressful. And that's kind of the whole point. Getting through the airport with Gracie is not an easy trick. And I will consolidate our packing to make sure that we don't have um, checked bags because we're just going down there for hopefully just two nights, maybe a third if we need to. But I don't want to have checked bags because that adds more stuff that I've got to do to haul through the airport and or to get to it. So little things like that, you pack very much accordingly. You, you get streamlined. And, and if you have a question that this prompts, please go out to my website, hopeforthecaregiver.com, or to the Facebook group at Hope for the Caregiver. Join it and post a question on travel tips and so forth. But I helped Gracie get all of her stuff you know, as tightly organized as possible so that uh, we are compact and mobile because we have to make changes so quickly. I learned a long time ago that I don't have to spend an enormous amount of money to do this well. You just have to think through it. And you always get a medical rate, um, if, particularly if you're staying near a hospital. They usually have a medical rate, so ask for one. I mean, the answer is always no till you ask. You know, And when you get a, 
a car service, if you're not used to doing that kind of stuff, make sure you know what kind of car you're going to get that shows up because it's got to accommodate a wheelchair, getting in and out of the car, all those kinds of things. Um, on my Uber profile, <laughs> I'm in my um, martial arts uniform. I have a second-degree black belt, so I put that picture on there so they know up front <laughs> who they're dealing with. I figure, why not? You know, because safety is also a big issue. A lot of times I'll do things like um, get Gracie's hair washed while we're there on the road with, a, you know, one of the local franchises of all these different places that you just go in there and walk in and get, get her hair washed because it's easier than for her to try to do it. Sometimes even in a hotel with handicap accessibility and all stuff, Gracie has beautiful hair and it, you know, but it requires a little bit of help and her you know, shoulders and back and arms are all always hurting. So those are little things that you can do to make your trip a little easier. Yes, it costs money, um, but it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. And so that's that's a travel tip that you can do. And you, you get there in plenty of time at the airport so that you're not scrambling to get through security. I would highly recommend get TSA pre-checked if you haven't already, if you travel a lot. Uh, it, it makes it a little bit easier and they will work with you, but you have to be able to articulate what your needs are and let them know that you mean business. I usually get a little crosswise with the TSA at some major airports it, it, invariably, but you know, that's just part of it. That's kind of the world we live in. If you want, I'll take, I'll go a little deeper and talk about dealing with doctors when we come back from the break. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. We'll be right back. A charitable gift annuity through the AFA Foundation is an excellent way to provide yourself with guaranteed permanent income while at the same time supporting the American Family Association. Here's what one supporter told us. I very much want to see God's word continue into the next generation. This is a way I can help AFA spread the truth and promote their biblical stand. My experience with the AFA Foundation continues to remind me that I have a small part in helping AFA in the battle for our nation's values. Financial planning is essential to your family. A charitable gift annuity through the AFA Foundation is one way you can support AFA and the health of our nation. The planners at the AFA Foundation are here to help you do the most with your finances. You can call us at 800-326-4543, extension 345, find us on Facebook, or email foundation at afa.net, and learn whether a charitable gift annuity is right for you. My name is Vladimir. I received my Operation Christmas Child shoebox during a harsh winter in Ukraine, where I grew up. My favorite item was minty dental floss. I remember thinking, wow, I guess they have interesting candy in America. I want children to experience the same unconditional love I did at the age of nine. To learn more or to pack a shoebox gift online, please visit SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. That's SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. This year, Operation Christmas Child is celebrating its 200 millionth shoebox. Send joy to a child in need with Operation Christmas Child. Pack a shoebox with fun toys, school supplies, and hygiene items. Then bring it to a drop-off location during National Collection Week, November 14th through the 21st. Or build a shoebox online. The good news of Jesus Christ is shared alongside your gift, and each child is invited to join a discipleship program. Visit SamaritansPurse.org OCC to learn more.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Roseberg, and this is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're so glad that you're with us. We're talking a little bit about some tips today. I don't normally do this, but I was specifically asked by a friend of mine to address some of these things. He said, I just get overwhelmed thinking about all the day-to-day stuff you do, and it may be that other people are feeling the same way. And I thought, well, okay, if you want to know, I'll, I'll tell you how I do it. And then if that helps you, then I'm very glad because that's the whole point of this is to equip you. And I hope that these things will help alleviate some of the day-to-day stress you have, particularly if you have to, like in the last block, we talked about travel. And the more prep work you do, the more stuff you have on your phone, the more organized you are, the smoother this thing is going to go. The world has moved into that direction. And if you don't know how to do these things, it's a good idea to start learning how to do them. Putting a rideshare app on your phone is not hard. Once you got it, you got it. And it'll change your life if you live in a major urban area. Now, you know, you have Uber in cities. Well, I'm way out here in middle of Montana. We have Goober. You know, we, we don't. Our rideshare involves a dog sled. You know? So, but when I go to cities, I, I need to be able to have some type of transportation if I'm flying in. I really don't want to rent a car. And that's just more drama that I need to to deal with when you've got rideshare. So please take advantage of these things that are out there. Get it on your phone and get somebody to teach you if you don't know how to do it. If you need some extra questions, go out to our Facebook group, post whatever questions you have. We'll be glad to answer it there. There's so many people there that do this all the time. And I moderate the whole group, okay? that's It's my group, so it'll never go off the rails with that. Or if it does, I will act swiftly. But please take advantage of that. The other thing is dealing with doctors. Because he asked me, my friend asked me, he said, well, you know, dealing with all the doctors you deal with. And I've talked about this a little bit before on the show, but I will circle back to it again because I think this time of year, particularly, there's a lot of surgeries that are happening. You're, you've met your deductible. You're getting in some things. These things happen this time of year. And so it's a good idea to know some tips on dealing with doctors and their staff. One of them is, is that you are polite but not subservient. I call this the three P's of dealing with a doctor. One of them is you be polite but not subservient, okay? You're not going there with your hat in your hand. You're there to exchange goods and services. And you, because of your diligence, have some type of medical insurance, healthcare coverage that allows the services of this medical provider to be paid for. Some of it comes out of your pocket with your deductible or your copay, but all of it is being transferred from one entity to another. And you are uh, responsible for all that. Even if you're not writing the check, you're still the person responsible for making sure it gets done. So you can be polite, but you're not subservient. This is a transaction. This is a business transaction. And you're not there to in any way be a doormat or be treated poorly And I've said often on this program, we caregivers are high-functioning multitaskers. We are very good at what we do, at being able to navigate a lot of things. We're assimilating a lot of information in real time that's very, very quick. And we're all doing this without any kind of formal training, really, for the most part. I mean, some in this audience are nurses and doctors and healthcare providers of all different kinds. But for the most part, we're just civilians, if you will doing the best we can to keep up. But we have caregiver authority. We may not know the science, but we know our loved one. How many of you all would say that after 36 years of marriage, 
I'm fairly adept at saying, I know Gracie. Okay, well, I do. And I recognize things and behaviors and warning signs and other issues that I can raise my hand on and say, hey, we got an issue here. How many of you all think that her doctors listen to me? They do. They really do. I've had more than one physician say, what do you think? And these are not inconsequential people. I mean, surgeons and and all types of different specialists. They are very um, respectful to me as her longtime caregiver because they recognize that I've been looking after her since most of them were in junior high school or even earlier. (laughs) So they, they recognize that I bring a wealth of information and I'm able to articulate it. So I treat them politely, but I'm not subservient by any stretch of the imagination. Now, sometimes I'll get somebody that'll get, you know, a little bit snippy with me. And that's when I will play that card and I don't mind playing it. And you may mind playing it and it may be awkward for you. And the first couple of times it usually is, but after a while you realize, no, I'm not taking this because you know what, when things go wrong, those people that are snippy, how many of them show up to clean up a mess? It's you doing it for the most part, particularly when you're at home. So the margin for error is slim And we don't have time to be somebody else's doormat or to deal with all the normal nonsense. And those of you who are regular listeners to this program have heard me many times talk about how I've bypassed some of that stuff. But I also get to know them. I want them to know me and and I want to know them. I want them to trust me that I am engaged in this process. I get to know all of her pharmacists. all of her primary care doctors, the nurses, the lab workers, all of them, they all know who I am. And I make a point to make sure they know who I am, that I am engaged and that they can call me and that I'm watching this thing. I try to stay above it so that I don't get down into the weeds too much and tell them how to do their job and micromanage. And I say that, let me give a little caveat on that. I've done that before. I've done that many times and it's caused more problems because sometimes they'd rather deal with me than with Gracie because I'm very articulate and I can concise. She's always uncomfortable. She's in pain. She's in distress. She doesn't feel good. None of us want to have a conversation with people and do all that kind of stuff when we don't feel good. And she never really feels good. So she needs somebody with, you know, ample communication skills. And I have them. And so do you. And we have to practice at it. But there are also times when we have to know when to put our hands over our mouth. And that's an area that I've struggled with many times. So the second P is dealing with the pharmaceuticals. Stay out of that conversation as much as possible. Just deal with logistics, but that's it. Our opinion, while certainly based on experience and intelligence, is not always needed. And so you use words like, in my experience, not... I think you should. Let's get the words, I think you should, or you need to, or she needs to, or he needs to out of our vocabulary and replace it with, in my experience, or I have learned, or this is what I've witnessed, this is what I've watched, those kinds of things. It's much better than to give our opinion. We serve ourselves and our loved one better if we avoid using words like should and need, unless we're speaking In first person singular, I need such and such. 
as opposed to you need to do such and such. That That is never effective. I have never found that to be effective. It, it, it's very off-putting, actually. I don't like it when people do it to me. I mean, think about it. If somebody came up to you and said, hey, you need to do such and such, well, who do you think you are kind of thing? I mean, that's how we would respond. Well, let's be respectful with this, but let's also recognize that there are times to put our hands over our mouth when it comes to pharmaceuticals. And it, it it's not something that is easy to do, particularly when you have so many things going on. But that's why you spend time getting to know your pharmacist. That's why you do regular inventories, regular checks. Um, you print out a new list uh, of, of updated meds and have that ready at a moment's notice. I keep mine in the cloud. I have a document in the cloud that is updated at least once a quarter that I can download to my phone or email to someone else very quickly. And, and a, a medical provider, I'll be in an office, and, and I don't have time to take all this paper. I hate carrying a bunch of paper. And so I keep everything on the cloud, not on my laptop, in the cloud, where I can access it from anywhere in the world if I have to at any point. And I've had to do that from West Africa, while Gracie was here in the States. So these, these are important things to remember. to Use this technology to work to your advantage and be, be willing to engage with these providers, but don't tell them how to do their job. Ask them what they think. What are your thoughts? Here's what I've witnessed. What are your thoughts? And then you start building a team because ultimately you're the team leader here. You, you are in the airline industry, they call it the pilot in command. You're the pilot in command when it comes to your loved one's care on many occasions. Not every occasion. You're not in charge of every aspect of their life. But when it comes to these sorts of logistics, you are. And pilots do what they call cockpit resource management, CRM. What do I have to work with here? Okay, what are the resources that I have? And some of the resources you have are technology. So please use it. The other thing is, when you go to deal with doctors, it's a professional meeting. So treat it as such. If you are meeting with a banker, your attorney, or anybody else, politicians or whatever, business leaders, you're, you're, you're brokering a deal, this is a professional meeting. The same thing in that exam room. It may be very familiar to you. You may be used to it. But, but dress for it. Be prompt for it. Be ready for it. Make notes for it. So be professional. So stay out of the pharmaceuticals. Be polite without being subservient and be professional as you do these things. And you're going to find that this is going to smooth this process out. It's challenging to do the things that we do. There's no need to make it harder by what you call unforced errors. By showing up tardy or unprepared. I don't know what, you know, <laughs> I don't know. We're just here. What do you want us to do? I mean, that's not a way to talk to a doctor. Here are the thoughts we have for today. Here's the top priorities today that we need to walk out of here with some kind of action step. And by the way, that, I ask that question a lot. What's the next action step? And they said, well, we're going to wait three weeks. Okay, in three weeks, I'm calling. I'm making a note right now. I'm going to call you in three weeks. Now, admittedly, Gracie's situation is really extreme. I mean, we deal with so many different doctors, so many different challenges with her. But the principle's still the same. You be prepared. You be professional. You be polite. You, you stay out of the conversations about pharmaceuticals when it gets down into the nuts and bolts. You let the professionals do that. I was a lousy student in chemistry. The last thing I want to do is practice on Gracie. 
You know, I'm a musician, but I know her. And it's always appropriate to ask questions. And it's really, really, really important to write them down. If you have to keep a journal with it or whatever, track it, however you, whatever works for you, but keep a record of it. And don't just trust that other people are going to remember it the way it needs to be remembered. Trust, but verify, as Reagan said. So always verify it. These are little things that I do. I hope this has been helpful. This is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We've got more to go. Don't go away. They say actions speak louder than words. Here at the American Family Association, we take that to heart. AFA Action is here to inform and help you get involved in cultural and moral issues. You can also sign up for our AFA Action Alert, which will inform you about these issues every week by email. To sign up and for more information, visit us at afaaction.net. Why are you still sitting there? If you want change, it starts with you. Vice President Kamala Harris, who has always made headlines wherever she goes for word salads and gaffes and whatnot, uh, she did another misspeak uh, while she was abroad. Steve, uh, we're going to play this clip. Chris. What's that? Did you call her abroad? While, she, while she's abroad. Oh, oh, my bad. <laughs> oh, excuse no, me. I, okay. I haven't heard that word since yeah. I was a teenager and my dad. Today's Issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden. Public gratitude to God by our governmental and elected leaders is not new. Some have had hearts so full of gratitude that it found its way on paper. President John Quincy Adams wrote, May I never cease to be grateful for the blessings received through my life at God's hands. Never repine at what he has denied. Never murmur at the dispensations of providence and implore his forgiveness for all the delinquencies of my life. Humility is forerunner to greatness. Leaders humble enough to recognize their faults, to seek God's grace for forgiveness, and to overcome those faults are on the path to greatness. Jesus promised to exalt those who humble themselves before God. The Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com. There is a fall Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. I am Peter Rosenberger, and we're glad that you're with us. On Friday, November 18th, 1983, my wife Gracie had a life-altering event. You're listening to her sing right now, one of my favorite recordings of her singing A Balm in Gilead. I would be negligent if I didn't pause and reflect on the events of that day 90 miles west of Nashville, Tennessee, on Interstate 40. I I didn't know Gracie at the time. None of you all did either, most likely. But the events that happened that day profoundly affected so many people, none more than Gracie and then me, our children, now our grandchildren, this audience, 
and countless others who've read her story and heard her. It's hard to wrap our minds around this suffering that God allows in this broken, fallen world. It's hard to do that. And anybody who tells you different, please run away from them. Gracie's suffering is on a level that I struggle to communicate to others. And from what they tell me, I'm a pretty good communicator. And I don't have the words. I see it every day. She remains the bravest person I've ever known. And we laugh. We have a raucous life. We live life large on so many levels. But it is all framed by terrible suffering now that has endured for 39 years. I thought I'd do something very different today and let Gracie read from her own book the account of those 90 seconds that forever changed her life and so many others. This is from her book, Gracie, Standing with Hope. My longtime friend and pastor in Nashville, Jim Bachman, once said, the Lord tells us that he'll give us brokenness, he'll give us weakness, he'll give us emptiness, then we'll be useful to him. This is Gracie's story in her own words. Fatigue washed over me. Nine weeks into my freshman year in college, months of maintaining a frenzied pace finally registered, and it hit like a ton of bricks. In addition to an already full schedule of classes, my decision to declare a double major in vocal performance and piano required lengthy and exhaustive hours of practice. My heavy academic load, along with a strict jogging regimen and a budding college social life, pushed any kind of rest to the bottom of my detailed priority list. Now, driving alone with just my thoughts to keep me company, the weariness crept in relentlessly. You know, Gracie, you really need to roll the window down, I told myself. Glancing at the window, a voice in my brain kept telling me to lower it and allow the cold autumn air to rouse me from the increasing comfort of the warm car. Not heeding the mental warning bells, my hands gripped the steering wheel as I continued driving while looking glassy-eyed at the road ahead. The highway, bordered by trees with bare branches rising from autumn-browned fields, stretched ahead and merged with the dull gray sky. Dull. I tried to stir myself to alertness by returning to composing lyrics. <laughs> to a tune given to me by a friend. Father, here I am again seeking you once more, giving up to you the burdens I've given up before. Why must there be a constant struggle in me, a giving of myself? The song seemed about as cheerful as the landscape. Oh, well, at least I looked colorful and cheery. Glancing down, I smiled at the new Agner shoes my mom bought me for my college wardrobe. Earlier that morning, I decided to arrange my entire outfit based on these new shoes. Wonderful new burgundy tights, a fabulous deep turquoise corduroy skirt, an Agner-colored sweater with a stylish large cow turtleneck, and several pieces of my favorite jewelry, one of which was a gold atabead necklace I'd been adding to since sixth grade. 
To this day, my attire for the trip remains one of my all-time favorite outfits, although it was mm, four or five sizes smaller. As the miles crept by, I noticed that my gas gauge was getting low. With all the running around, I forgot to fill up the tank. Scolding myself for failing to stop at the next exit, rapidly shrinking in my rearview mirror at this point, I made a mental note to fill up at the next one. Being my first time to drive west, though, on this highway, I was unaware that the nearest gas station lay nearly 10 miles away. The gentle humming engine noise of my Honda Accord seemed to envelop my body. Feeling my head bob slightly, I quickly shook it off and shifted to the right of a tin-truck convoy, thinking, how odd for those tractor-trailers to all be in the left lane. Speeding to 70 miles an hour, the speed limit was 55 at the time, I passed them in the right lane. Racing around them and then cutting back to the left in front of another car, I glanced again at my fuel level and knew I had to find an exit quickly. If I just didn't feel so sleepy. With no exit in sight, I settled in after speeding past the tractor trailers, nervously looking at the gas gauge. Staring ahead, the highway seemed to stretch on endlessly and endlessly, without even a curve to break up the monotony. Relaxing in the warm car and feeling the comfort of sleep moving stealthily over my body, my mind chose to stop fighting it. With blurring eyes, I gave myself permission to just rest for a moment, and I lay my head on the steering wheel. Dumb decision. Adorned in a beautiful new shoe, my foot pressed heavily on the accelerator and slowly urged the car back to more than 70 miles per hour. As I drifted from the left lane, the car behind me slipped by, apparently oblivious to my condition, unlike the men driving the 18-wheelers I had just passed, who could only watch helplessly as I rested my head on the wheel. Frantically blowing their horns, trying to startle me awake, the truckers radioed each other and coordinated to form a rolling barrier behind me with their trucks, preventing anyone else from being hit by my aimless car. With their constant horn blasts failing to wake me, the truckers watched my car slowly weaving for about a minute and then steadily drifting to the right. Making its way through the right lane, my Honda Accord raced into the roadside gravel. The crunch of the tire against rock did cause me to stir a little bit, and halfway opening my heavy-lidded eyes, I vaguely noticed a large green sign with white letters. In a drowsy haze, I failed to react in time to keep the car from charging ahead. With no guardrail to prevent disaster, my car left the road and mowed over a mile marker. Bent by the front of the car, the small sign whipped back into the Accord, slicing through the Honda's undercarriage and carving out a large section of my right thigh, nearly cutting me in two. Ramming head-on into the end of the concrete abutment, framing a culvert, the front of the little Honda wrapped itself around the eight-inch barrier, 
slamming my body against the rapidly crumpling car. Milliseconds later, internal organs also bowed to the law of physics and pounded into my body as I'd quickly decreased speed, allowing me to fully experience the smashing impact of high velocity meeting a dense fixed obstacle. With no buffer to burn off speed, the frontal impact lifted the back end of the car, and like an Olympic gymnast, the car twisted and flipped through the air so that the back end of the car crushed into the opposite side of the culvert's cement wall. Although bearing the impression of the abutment in the front of the car, the nearly 90-degree impact shoved the trunk of the car almost into the back seat. With the car hurtling through the air as if in slow motion, the momentum from pounding backwards into the culvert flipped the crushed automobile again and again, and then, finally, sent it careening along a 15-foot embankment. Rolling into a small ravine that served as a runoff during rainy weather, the Honda finally tumbled to a stop, amazingly right side up. The gully was deep enough that had the wreck been at night, no one driving by would have ever noticed or rescued me in time. Disoriented and in shock, I awoke with my body leaning towards the passenger seat, but both of my legs were grotesquely pinned over my right shoulder. Something seemed dreadfully wrong with each of them, particularly my right foot, which was dangling limply at a bizarre angle. Feeling a wet, sticky substance trickling down my face and into my eyes, I blinked through the blood now oozing from a gash on the top of my head. With curious detachment, I noticed the right front tire crammed into the passenger seat. A strange flashing in front of me caught my attention, and painfully shifting my eyes forward, a wave of fear rushed over me. My car was on fire. Although my brain clanged all sorts of alarms, nothing in my body could move. I told it to move. Panic enveloped me, and hopelessness flooded over me. Staring straight into the flames, shooting from the engine, I saw a shape of a person. Although the face shone too brightly to be distinguishable, I somehow knew that the silhouette I saw was Christ. With one last surge of energy, willing myself to speak through a mouth that felt strange and unresponsive, I cried out, Jesus, Jesus, only you can save me now. Mercifully, everything went black. It took 90 seconds for my life to be violently and irreparably changed. You've been listening to Gracie tell the events of 39 years ago, November 18th, 1983. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident leading to 80 surgeries and both legs amputated. 
I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me. But over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies, and with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit standingwithhope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's standingwithhope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope. I feel so hopeless. Hopeless. Is there any hope? I I just feel like there's no hope at all. Is there any hope? Get hope. Get hope. I tend to live in the future, and by the time tomorrow becomes today, it's past history to me. That's TWR President Lauren Libby. One month, three months, six months from now seem as real as today. In reality, we only have today as a true reality. James from the Bible and the Message Bible reminds me, now you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. I wrote in my journal, am I living in such a way that I'm expectantly capturing all the wonderful opportunities that Jesus brings along today? Let's capture the right now moments that Jesus gives to us. They give us immediate hope. Need more hope? We have resources waiting for you, including a free devotional. You'll find them at GetHopeRadio.com. That's GetHopeRadio.com. back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. We're glad to have you with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. And when I say with us, I have here with me Gracie, my wife. And you just heard her give an account of what happened 39 years ago, November 18th, 1983. As she read an excerpt of her book, Gracie Standing with Hope, Gracie is here to uh, share her thoughts as she looks back over a lifetime since that day so long ago. And uh, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts first were to say a day that she'll live in infamy. Um, but there's, for me, it does. There's no laugh track here. Okay, I'm So if you're I'm not sorry. funny, I won't laugh. Okay, okay well, I'll laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Look, people love my laugh. Is that it. true? It's true. It's true. People <laughs> shall call in and say, we like Gracie's laugh. We'll listen to an hour of her laughing. Um, <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, no. I mean, I, I, I know when the 18th is, and it's this Friday, and it, it stinks. And to have my 85th 
surgery. 84th. We're not at the 85th yet. Oh, Lord. That's next month. (laughs) Thinking ahead. (laughs) Don't get too far ahead of us, Gracie. Um, Slow down. You know, on Monday, really stinks. I mean, I I really did, in all fairness, try to have them put you up on the rack and just do it all at one time. They won't do it. No, they don't like I to do that. I begged them. I know. but we <laughs> They gotta, won't do it. So you're going to go down there. You're going to get these screws taken out of your femur uh, from when you broke your leg a year and a half ago. If you'd only broken the lower part of your leg, I could have fixed it with a hammer and some pliers and maybe some duct tape and bailing twine. But duct tape would be for me because I like duct tape. You do like duct tape, and you cannot lie. I know. I can't. And, <laughs> but, you know, here we go. And you are you have to be in surgery early Monday morning. You have to be there at 630, which is for some people that's not that early. For you, that's, that's just, just that's like, that's dark in 30. the middle of the night. <laughs> that's in the middle of the night. It's <laughs> <laughs> why I let you get up at that time. It's <laughs> in the middle of the night, 630 in the morning. <laughs> It's still dark. <laughs> yeah, oh, dark 30. <laughs> and so they're going to take this these screws out of your leg and um, hopefully, the hopefully ones won't out of pinch so much because when you wear your prosthesis now, it stings. But, you know, 39 years, 39 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. It's long, one year longer than the 38 years. The well, man, that, yes, 38 plus one is, is yes, 39. No, but I, I but know not quite that, to 40. Betty. I know that, Betty. <laughs> I'm talking about no, the man that, that laid by the yes, the pool. man that laid by the pool was there for 38 years. And you've and been doing Jesus this for 39. And it was a long time. I'm sorry, I'm crying, but it's a long time. <laughs> well, it it is a long time, and and yet here you are. Here I am, right here, right now, as the song said. That's all you can do in this moment. I live my life with you. You know, I just wanted people to hear in your own voice your thoughts. You. Your life has affected so many profoundly uh, through this program, through the prosthetic limb outreach, through through our songs, through the songs. I mean, just you know, it's not been a life that has been lived um, anonymously, and you have boasted all the more gladly in your weakness, so that Christ's power may rest upon you. And you do that on a regular basis. I know this is not exactly uh, something you like to commemorate, but I think it would. I think I would be doing uh, something. I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't stop and just at least make mention of it and and let Thank you know you. that it's never far from my mind. No, and and of course my mom has gone on to be with the Lord, um, but my daddy remembers it. And your uh, sister remembers it. I mean, it's, and my sister and brother-in-law remember it, and um, they were there with me and. You know, I think about all the folks that are still part of our lives that were there, uh, that showed up at the hospital. Nancy, your roommate from college, and she's getting ready to come on the board of directors here at Standing with Hope, you know, after all these years. You Lord know, help you. Her, Lord, Lord help her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's uh, her parents were the emergency contact there in Nashville. Others... Uh, you know, Jamie Work, Dr. Jameson Work, who is at the North American Mission Board, Southern Baptist Convention. I think he was like one of the first ones on the scene at the hospital. And still, these people are all part of our lives yeah. and important part of our lives. And and so, you know, you he and his wife you, Dana both were the first ones. Yeah. Here. You think about these things when these 
milestone moments come around. 39 years is a long time, Gracie. And it, this year it falls on the Friday, the same, you know, the actual day, because it was on a Friday. And it was a dreary November day in Tennessee. But here you are. And, and I, th- I thought about, as we were going down to town today, you know, you had an appointment down there. And, and I thought about all the f- people who have been touched by your story. Listeners to this program, um, I don't know how many there are, and, and, and to the podcast and the books and, the, like you said, the music, the, the, the amputees in Africa that are walking and all these kinds of things. And I know that your, your pain is so in your face all the time that you live with this, and yet I see how God has magnificently used you in my life, Gracie. I cannot imagine life without you. And don't ever do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this conversation is going to go off the rails here. <laughs> it's more fun off the rails. Look, I look for hey, listen, fun anywhere I can get it. Listen, you, you, you've been off the rails once, and that was enough, okay? Let's don't do that anymore. Oh, then we're just getting started. <laughs> oh, give me strength. But I just wanted you to have a chance to share things on your heart as you reflect back on it, but also look forward to what God has for you. You have grandchildren now. They didn't think you'd live, much less see have children or even consider seeing your oh, grandchildren. No, they, you're not going to have grandchildren. You won't have kids. That's what I was told. And you have two healthy sons, and you're going to have a fourth grandchild. Can you believe that? I know. We're going to have four grandchildren. Our youngest child, who is our child... <laughs> Grayson is really, really grateful that our eldest child is, producing is having all, all of the grandchildren. Yeah. Well, it's, but I mean, nobody ever dreamed that you would hold your grandchildren. No. That, that, you, that it'd be impossible, but you have, and you're going to see them here very soon at Christmas. I would have liked to have 10 more. Well, that you have to talk to your children about that. But I would, yeah, they, they would have said, leave now. Run, run for your lives. That's what they would have said to any other children. <laughs> but it's um no, you've 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 done extraordinary things, and so what do you feel is? I know you got these surgeries ahead of you. What do you feel is next for you? If I say it, you it could blow your head off. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's got to be like your dad would say it. You blow your head. And slam off. Blow your head, slam, slam off. off. That's right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you could blow your head, slam off. Her, so dad, really, her really dad says to. that. I mean, he was just a lightning hit a horse, one of his horses, many years ago. I can't believe you're telling <laughs> And So he's sitting around the table telling this story, and he said, yeah, it blew his eyes, slam out of the socket. <laughs> so. That was so funny. Well, it wasn't funny to the horse, but no, but, it but was the way funny. he described it, it was just well. It, he was a cantankerous. It was good horse, but cantankerous, <laughs> and he's the one who tried to buck me off and everything else. But he was a good horse. So you're not going to blow my head, slam off. What's next for you? What? what, what, what <laughs> what's next? I know you got these surgeries, but what's next? I want to get out of the surgery business, <laughs> and um, I'd really. You know, I, but I think I'd have to do it with somebody because I would never get finished for rewriting everything because 
Um, that editor in me just wants to catch every little word. Um, I, I think I'd like to write a book, not, not about my life again, because there's a book out there called that. Um, what would you like to write about? I'd like to write, it's not the first thing I want to do, but um, it's like, it's after the album. What would you like to write a book about? Just no, just the one to I'm going to pin you down. Okay. I'd like to write about um, how to deal with chronic pain. I think that'd be a very good book for you to write. And I think there's a lot of people that are waiting for you to write that book because you deal with it for a lifetime. People in this audience send me notes all the time that they appreciate you so much. They don't really know you. And it's get to... because they don't know me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they hear enough about you, but they hear your heart through your music and everything else. And I think that it was just important for them today to hear from your own voice. So That's I, very, very you, kind of you. Well, don't, I, don't tell anybody I, I was cut. I'm sorry. I know it sounds like we're just cuckoo going from cuckoo in the forest, like Dad would say, <laughs> going from crying to laughing. But, um, you know... Here's the deal. When you got a lot of stuff, laugh. Don't cry. That's what I do. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> this is Peter Roseberg. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. And if you want to see more on Gracie, go to standingwithhope.com. We leave with Gracie singing, We Will Stand. Take us out, Gracie. Take my hand. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.